Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei Abashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Today's Mishnah is Parak Aleph, Mishnah Dalid, Chapter 1, Mishnah 4, Part 1. Ish Tzreda Yossi ben Yochanan Ish Yushalayim. See, Yossi, the son of Yoezer, a man of Tzreda, and Yossi, the son of Yochanan, a man of Yushalayim, Kiblu Mehem received from them. Yossi ben Yoezer Ish Tzreda Omer. So we tell over the one of the, of the two rabbis what they said. He said, Your house should be an opening, um, a place that is open, the gathering place for the sages. And you should sit in the dust of their feet. And you should drink thirstily their words. Now, again, you know, a lady has been pointing out it's threes, okay, which is, which is obviously very important. What these threes are is very important, but I think that the context of this Mishnah really has to be discussed long before we discuss the content of the Mishnah. The first thing that needs to be pointed out is that up until now, meaning for the first three Mishnayos, the first Mishnah we had men of the Great Assembly, the second Mishnah we had, uh, we had um, Antigno, we had, we had um, I'm sorry, Shimon Tzadik, then we had Antignos Ish Soho, and now we're into, um, into the two Yossis. So there's a change, a historical change that's taking place here, which is called the Zugos, the pairs, that up until now, the leadership of the Jewish people was, thank you very much, the leadership of the Jewish people was, but was one person, was, a, was the, really the Kohen Gadol, was the high priest, and he contained really everything, both the political and religious leadership of the Jewish people. That started to wane, Plus the fact that the, we're, we're reaching towards Hanukkah now. Historically, we're reaching towards Hanukkah. And that at the, by the time that Yossi ben Yoezer and Yossi ben Yochanan finished their reign, so then Antiochus, the wicked Antiochus of the story of Hanukkah, he enters into the picture. So we're nearing the years, which pre-Hellenistic times, we're nearing towards the, um, the time of Hanukkah. And the... The, because of that, what was happening was is that the high priesthood was being bought. It was it what wasn't going to people that were necessarily priests that were necessarily Kohanim or necessarily worthy of being Kohanim. And because of that, they in, they brought somebody else in to to help lead the Jewish people, and that was the Nasi. We now changed to a period of time where there were two leaders for the Jewish people, where there was a Nasi and there was an Av Beisdin. It's the period of history is called the period of Zugos. They are really technically Tanoim, but nevertheless, we call this period of time the period of Zugos. There are five Zugos that are taught to us in Pirkei and the next 10 Mishnayos are all going to deal with the Zugos, with things that were said by the Zugos. The Zugos were balances to each other. One of them, one was the Nasi. The first of the two was always the Nasi. The second of the two was the Av Bezdin, was the head of the Sanhedrin. Um, he was the, the functional head of the Sanhedrin. 
One of them spoke out of Ava, out of love. One of them spoke out of Yira, which I'll try to point out as we go through the Mishnayas. And that it's fascinating that we see that Antignos, as we pointed out last week, spoke both messages. He spoke the message of Ava, and he spoke the message of Yira, the message of love and the message of awe. Now, things became diffused, and it was just, this is just a microcosm of what was going on in the Jewish people. The Jewish people themselves were becoming diffused. The Jewish people themselves were starting to weaken, and therefore, in the leadership, they were also starting to weaken to the extent that they now each needed to take a bailiwick. One had the bailiwick, so to speak, of Ava, of love, and one had the bailiwick of Yira, of awe, and that they had to split into, into really like two camps in order to be able to, to present a total picture of Judaism. And we can understand, and this is what I think is very important for me, it's very important. When I learned Mishnayas, I even, I, I, I knew this and forgot it, when I learned the Gemara two days ago, and I'll explain what, what I mean in a second, but that understanding the context of where things come from changed them completely and puts them in a totally different light and it gives us a, it gives a whole other message. So let's understand the context of time that was going on here. So one of the things that, that we have to understand is that what was taking place is that there were rules that were starting to be made against the learning of Torah. When we talk about that in the, in the context of Hanukkah, it's not just in the, time, in the time of Hanukkah. It was in the time leading up to Hanukkah that Torah was already taking a hit. Because of Hellenism, because of the desire to um, acculturate people into a foreign culture in order to be able to make one culture of the, of the nation, so people were afraid, were afraid to learn Torah. They were afraid to associate with Tamidi Chachamim. They were inviting Hellenists into their into their home in order to be able to convince the, the Greeks that they were okay. Plus, they were, they were running these like parlor meetings. You know, they would invite a bunch of their friends into the house. They would have a bunch of Roman uh, Greek philosophers in their house, and they would hope that that would influence the people in their thinking and would send a message back to the Greek leadership that we're on board. You know, we're really, we're getting into this. We're the good guys. They were also leaving Eretz Yisrael en masse because there were many people that were afraid of these gezeros, they were afraid of these decrees, and therefore they felt that the best way to deal with it is is to actually pick up and leave. And, and therefore they went, they went to, uh, to the lands outside of the land of Israel. They lived at a time that was the, that the, the Maccabees, as we're going to see later, that, that, they, that, that, that bore the Maccabees, and therefore there were, there were wars that were already beginning during this time of the Yossis. And those battles, there were certain people that were very afraid to fight those battles. There was a group of people called the Essenes, who many people say became the later Christians. But the Essenes were a splinter group that were petrified of becoming tummy, of becoming impure. Because if they became impure, they wouldn't be able to come to the temple. So what they did was, is that they would live with these incredible levels of impurity. Um, and they, they refused to fight the battles because they were afraid that they would come into contact with soldiers. They were afraid to be the support teams. They were afraid even to help in the background, to pack packs, to, to, to go and to get food for them and to take care of the soldiers, to do even menial tasks, not necessarily fight to the front lines because they were afraid of coming into contact with soldiers 
And if a soldier had come into contact with a dead soldier, so then he would be tome nasi, would be impure on the level of touching a dead body, which as we learned in the Gemara and Shabbos, and we learned from the Torah, is on a very, very high level of impurity. They were afraid of contracting that tumah, and therefore they, would, they refused to participate in the wars. So now you have to take a look very carefully. I'm going to start off this Mishnah first. The Yossis, the two Yossis made, we just learned in the Gemara, in Dafyomi, that there were 18 decrees that were made. And in one of the decrees, a few of the decrees, we had a question of exactly when that decree was made. And as it turns out, the beginning of the decree was made in the time of the Yossis, which was much earlier than what the Gemara was talking about. Which decrees? One of the decrees was that they were Gozer, they made a decree that anybody, anything that came from a foreign land outside the land of Israel, anything that came from Syria or anything that came from one of the, um, from Bavel, from Babylon, one of the Arabic lands, anything that came from there caused Tuma, caused impurity. And that the Tumas Hames, that a person who himself was Tommy because he touched the dead body, cannot make another person tummy merely by touching that person. When I learned those laws, I said, okay, you know, the, the Yossi's, like I, I learned it historically, I learned the Gemara was said that it was the Yossi's that said that, great, everything was fine, moved on. And then I went over the Mishnah in preparation for today and I said, oh no, it makes perfect sense that the Yossi's would have made that because the Yossi's were trying to keep people away from running out of Eretz soul. That's not the way to deal with your problem because the Syrians are giving us a hard time and they're telling us to get away from Torah. Don't run away. Don't go outside of Eretz Yisrael. Don't leave the holiness of the land. It was a base of Mikdash at the time. No, so therefore they made, they put a, a fence on the border of Eretz Yisrael. What was the fence? Step outside and you become Tameh. Then they turned to the Essenes, to this group of people and said, we need your help. You're not soldiers, but at least you could be helping us. And they said, no, we're not helping. We're not helping because we're afraid that we're going to become Tameh. So they made a rabbinical decree that when you touch another person who is Tomei Mace, you're not going to be Tomei. And therefore, those laws were made in the context of the history that was going on in the time. As was this Mishnah. Yossi ben Yuezer turns to his people and he says to them, You have Syrian Greeks in your house, you have Hellenists in your house. You have all kinds of philosophers that you're trying to show, look who we are. You don't understand that you're tearing away the very fabric of Judaism. Who needs to be in your house? It's the Chachamim, it's the Torah scholars that need to be in your house. And it's not just them that actually need to be sitting in your house, but it has to be a base of Vad Chachamim. Your house has to be a house that is conducive, that if a Rav was going to walk into your house, that if a Tamil Chacham would walk into your house, you wouldn't be embarrassed. You know, he walks into the house, he sees Svarim, he sees Jewish books, he sees, he sees Jewish artifacts, he feels a whole, a whole an, an aura of, of Torah inside the house. That was the first message that he said, based on what was going on in the times. And then he turns to them and says, You guys are sitting in the dust of philosophers. You're going nuts over Greek philosophy. You're going nuts over ideology, over intellectual uh, thoughts and thinking about and pondering life's questions. Do it in Torah. Have you Sit in the dust of the feet of the rabbis. You have You're applying your thirst to the wrong places. You're applying your thirst to secular knowledge. You're applying why your thirst to Greek knowledge. Apply your thirst to the thirst of Torah. 
And therefore, what Yossi ben Yuezer was talking to, he was talking to his generation. Without explaining all this, which I will next, but, but without even going into any details, he was turning to his nation and was saying to his nation that if you're going to attack knowledge and intellectual knowledge with something, do it to Torah. If you're going to pour your energy into something, do it to Torah. If you're going to open your house, open your house to Torah, because that was exactly what was happening in his generation. It was starting to crack. People were running away. People were, were moving on to other things. They were trying to find their answers in other religions and in other philosophies, rather than looking with inside Judaism. You know, it was an amazing thing in the 70s and the 80s, there was a proliferation of cults. And, you know, if, if you looked carefully at the cults, so a lot of the names, you know, granted, Sung Young Moon was at the head of the head of one of them, but all of the lieutenants, Goldberg, Schwartz, Cohen, you know, little Yidlach, they were, they, were, they were all Jewish kids. In India at the time, there were probably more, more people sitting in ashrams in India than, than there, you know, that, were, that were Yidin than were the non-Jews. You know, they tell her a great story that there was a, a woman that went to her travel agent, said to her travel agent, I need to go see my guru, my guru. So the, the travel agent says, you know, he asks her what town, she tells him a town in India. He says to her, you don't understand. You have to fly to India, and then from India you have to take another flight, and then you have to take a three-day bus ride, and then you have to take a four-day camel trip up a mountain. Then you have to climb up the last couple of hundred feet, and then you'll get to your guru. You're an old lady. It's going to be hard for you. She says, I don't care. I want, I should go see my guru. So, okay, books at a flight. She flies. She takes a second flight. She takes the bus ride. She takes the camel ride. She climbs up the top of the mountain. She gets to the top of the mountain. Says, I want, I should see my guru. So they tell her, I'm sorry, but the guru is not seeing anyone. For six months, you have to sit and wait. So she sits there and she waits for six months until finally one day, guy walks out from the curtain and he says, the guru can see you now. She walks into the guru, the gate opens, she walks into the guru, she walks over to him, she grabs his ear and she says to him, Myron, when are you coming home? Now that is, there were, there were many, 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 many Yidin. There were many, many Jews that were involved in these cults and that were involved in all of this, all this kind of stuff. Why? Because as far as they were concerned, there was nothing in Judaism that held them in. Because Judaism didn't speak their language. There was no, you know, th these languages were languages of love. They never heard the word love in Judaism. You know, they, they was, it was fire and brimstone. I remember the rabbi that I grew up with wrote a book of his sermons. And he titled the book, Fire and Brimstone. And he would write because there was nothing that came out of his mouth that wasn't fire and brimstone. When he said good Shabbos, it was like fire and brimstone. And it was just, that was the Judaism that people had. You know, again, they tell the cute story of a kid who was once sitting in shul and he sees the memorial plaques, so, you know, the yardside plaques next to him. And all of a sudden, the kid's reading the yardside plaques and all of a sudden you see his face turns in panic. And, and he sees a, a plaque that says, you know, uh, you know, whatever, Bob Goldberg, in the memory of Bob Goldberg, who died in service. And, and, he's, and he's in panic. The Rav walks by and turns to the Rav and he says, which one, Shacharis or Mincha? And that's the, that's the kind of, of aura that people grew up with, with this fear, not with the sense of love, not with the sense of beauty. And, and in the time of the Hellenists, people were looking for something else because they felt that inside of Judaism, inside of Torah, none of that existed. 
they didn't hear the message of love and they didn't hear the message of acceptance and they didn't hear the message of spirituality. It was a, it was a, a defined halachic message. The Essenes were an outgrowth of what was going on in the time. That the Essenes who took it to an extreme, but people were worried about impurity, purity, worried about all the details and the minutiae, and they weren't, they were missing the heart of it. They were missing the joy and the beauty of it. And that's what Rabbi Yosef ben Yoezer was trying to bring, to bring back to the people. He was saying, first of all, your house has to be a base van chachamim. There has to be an aura or that's conducive to the chachamim in your house. There has to be misavik, you have to want to sit in the dust of their feet and you have to have a thirst for learning Torah. You have to feel that you're missing something. You have to feel so desirous of learning Torah. He was trying to put back that sense of fire back into the Jewish people. Now, we need to understand a few other little things here. One is, is that in the time of the two Yossis, the first machlokas arose in the Jewish people. The machlokas was inconsequential, well, it was consequential, but relatively inconsequential in the bigger scheme of things. Nothing practical in our daily terms. They argued about a carbon, about a sacrifice, whether you needed to put your hands on the head of a sacrifice and lean down, whether you could do that on Yontif or not do that on Yontif, relatively immaterial. But nevertheless, the reason why it was a massive machlokas is because it was the first machlokas in Klayosol. When we say that the Syrian Greeks tried to darken the eyes of the Jewish people, that they were successful. They were successful. We won the war, but there were battles that we lost. And one of the battles that we lost was is that they in fact were successful in darkening our eyes. And for that reason, there was the first machlokas. The first machlokas was just an outgrowth, an indication of what was actually going on in that time, that there was a lack of clarity. We say that when the two Yossis die, the Talmud says that they were, they were known as eshkolot. What's an eshkol? It's a cluster. Well, in Talmudic terms, an eshkol is ish shekol bo, eshkol. Somebody who has everything. Somebody who has street smarts. Somebody who has Torah smarts. Somebody who understands the way the world works, the way the Torah works. Somebody who understands the entire Torah. It's called an eshkol. The two Yossis were eshkolos. They were the last of the eshkolos. They say about Yossi, about Rabbi Yossi ben Yuezer, that he learned Torah like Moshe Rabbeinu. So everybody, what do you mean Torah like Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu learned everything. When Moshe Rabbeinu died, there were 3,000 halachas, 3,000 halachas that were lost, 3,000. So he couldn't have learned Torah like Moshe Rabbeinu because he didn't have those 3,000 halachas. So the Talmud says that he learned like Moshe. In other words, just like Moshe Rabbeinu learned everything, he also learned everything. He was able to, he was able to hold onto and retain, like Moshe Rabbeinu did, he was able to hold onto and retain everything. This was the giant of what, of what Rabbi Yossi ben, Yossi ben Yoezer and Yossi ben Yochanan, these are the giants that they were. And they were trying now to hold on to a generation that was splitting and splintering a Jewish people that was literally, the rug was being pulled out from underneath it, and that's who they were speaking to. Tomorrow, when I go into greater detail into this Mishnah, that will come alive even more. But now we have at least the concept. Last thing I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the death. Of Yossi, of Yossi ben Yuezer, because it presents to us a, an extremely important, um, extremely important uh, um, idea and, and concept. That even in his death, he had something to teach us, Yossi ben Yuezer. 
that Yossi ben Yuezer had a nephew by the name of Joachim Ish Tsuros, who was a Kohen Gadol, who was, a, was known as alchemist, and he was, um, he, he was a misyaving. He had become a Hellenist. In his, in his great wickedness, he made, um, he, he killed a tremendous amount of rabbis and a tremendous amount of Jews, but he had mercy on his, um, on his uncle. And when he brought his uncle out to death, he brought him out on a crucifix, which itself is a historical fascination, but he brought him on a crucifix. The Gemara talks about how he, the Medrash talks about how he came out on a, on a, on a piece of wood, on a plank of wood. So there, there are those that learned that that was, that was the first of the crucifixes. So they bring him out and um, they were going to kill him. And he says to him that, and he was riding on a horse and it was on Shabbos. And he says to him that, um, that, that you're, you're, maybe it's time for you to change. And he looks at his uncle and he says to his uncle that, look at the horse that my master puts me on and look at the horse that your master puts you on. In other words, you're going out on a crucifix to be killed, and I am riding on a horse. I'm the, I'm the leader. I'm on the good side. I'm on the leadership side. So Omer Lohi said to him, Im kach So, so he said back to Joachim, he said, if this is what happens to the people that get him angry, then kavachomer to the people that do his will. So Amrlo Yakim, so Yakim said to him, He says, Is there anybody in the world that has done his will more than you? So Amrlo Vimkach, then if that's the case, if this is what God does to the people that do his will, how much more so the people that anger him have to worry. That went into alchemists like poison from a snake, and it woke him up, and he realized the folly of his ways, and he immediately killed himself in a way. He jumped off a building onto a spike. He committed the four types of death that would normally be given by the court. He committed those on himself. And he died really cleansing his soul. And as his soul was ascending to the heavens, Yossi ben Yuezer heard a heavenly voice come out and say, that you can acquire your world to come in one second. And, that in, and then Yossi ben Yuezer was taken out and was killed. In that Last breath, Yaisi ben Yoezer taught us, along with his wicked, who, who died not wicked, nephew Alchemist, that a person can turn their life around, in one second. We tend to think that it requires a long period of time and a slow process, when the truth is, is that that's for the actual change. But the decision for a person to change their life, the decision for a person to grab onto themselves and to do something with themselves, it could happen in one second. And as long as the ears are open, 
as long as a person is in the right place at the right time, and a person is listening to the, to the things, the messages that are being sent to them, a person can acquire Olam Abba, the world to come. In other words, a change in their life can acquire it in one second. There are people that unfortunately you can shout right into their ears and they hear absolutely nothing. But there are others, and the Gemara brings many, many instances, many stories of where, of Yesh Kono Olam Sha'achas, which if I was talking about that subject, it's very inspiring, the, the different stories that we know that the person who was going to kill Rabbi Hanina ben Trajun, the executioner, he, he took Rabbi Hanina ben Trajun as one of the 10 martyred Jews, and he put the Sefer Torah, wrapped the Sefer Torah around him, and he burnt the Sefer Torah, and he burnt him inside of the Sefer Torah, and he put wool, wet wool on his heart, so that he shouldn't die fast. Rabbi Hanina ben Trajun was sitting there, having a conversation with his students, and his students said to him, Rabbi, what do you see? He said, I see the parchment is burning, but the osios parchos ba'over, but the letters are flying up to the heavens. Because you can destroy the outer trappings, but you can't destroy the soul. You can't destroy the essence of the Torah. And therefore the letters were flying up. His executioner, his, his student said to him, Rebbe, open your mouth so that you can, you can die quicker. And he said, no, I can't bring this on any faster. His executioner said, if I take the sponges off your heart, so then, you know, th- then will that be okay? So he took the sponges off his heart and then he jumped into the fire with him and he died also. And again, the heavenly voice came out and said, as a person can change his entire ways in one second. Famous story of Elazar ben Durdaya, who was a person who had, who, who had used, he was called Rabbi Elazar ben Durdaya. Rabbi said nothing in all the shas. If you look all over him, you won't find him. You find one story. What was the story? He was a guy who loved prostitutes. And, and he went and he spent money on prostitutes. He spent every last penny he had. He found a certain prostitute in a faraway place. He traveled to go to get to that prostitute. When he was with the prostitute, she said something obnoxious to him. And it woke him up and it made him realize, oh my gosh, what am I doing? He had an epiphany. And he went and he cried himself into tshuva and cried himself to death. And again, we say about him, sometimes it's just one epiphany, one awakening that could change a person. Yaisi ben Yueza turns to his people and he says to them, look, I understand you're having a hard time. I understand that you're not inspired, but you're not going to be inspired by staying away from inspiration. Put yourself into a place that you could be put yourself into a place where your life can change in one second. How's that going to happen? Surround yourself with rabbis. Sit at least in the dust of their feet. Again, it could be totally uninspirational for you, but they're going to say one thing, one word is going to come out of them, and you're going to say to yourself, oh, should I V8? You're going to say to yourself, oh my God, that's amazing. How can I ignore that? And then, if you approach it with the right kind of approach, the approach of Tzamath, the approach of thirst, so then you might be able to find that moment of epiphany. You might be able to find that moment of being turned on. This Mishnah was very much a reflection of who Yossi Ben Yuezer was. Tomorrow, we're going to discuss what are the three things that Yossi Ben Yuezer was really asking us to do. What is the connection between those three? And what was the message, the deeper message of Rabbi Yossi Ben Yuezer? Eric Aleph. Today's Mishnah.